Today on the Inland Journal podcast, we talk with Spokane County Health Officer Dr. Bob Lutz. As the coronavirus curve flattens and Spokane area elected leaders talk about revitalizing the local economy, we talk about some of the issues of the day, about expanded testing for the virus, and about how Spokane and Washington can expect to emerge from our collective isolation. We talked on Thursday afternoon, April 23rd. I asked Dr. Lutz first about a facility at the Spokane County Fairgrounds where people who have symptoms of the coronavirus but test negative, or if they have flu or a cold but know where to go, can stay. Given Governor Inslee's uh, press conference the other night and talking about enhanced testing and having this sort of box in the virus, the reality is with more testing is going to come identification of more individuals who are going to need to be isolated self-isolation and self-quarantine. And so the fairgrounds, as we conceptualized it from the get-go, was one of those resources for community members who may not have someplace else to go. So that's where it is conceptualized. And to date, it's been used primarily for individuals who are living homeless, where they have been we have, we have teams that go out every afternoon that go to the shelters, find individuals who meet the criteria to be tested. That testing is done out at the isolation site, and then depending upon the test results, they're released from that isolation site because they've tested negative, and to date, they've all tested negative. The reality is that that is going to be one of probably potentially many such facilities that we're going to need to identify across the community for those situations where you may not have the means where you are living to self-quarantine because you have family members that you need to step away from and you know you need someplace else to go. So in other communities that have taken this on, they've looked at dormitories, uh, they've looked at, I know they've repurposed gyms, repurposed hotels, all in the effort to find sort of multiple venues, depending upon the situation, where you can be in self-isolation if you're COVID positive or quarantine if you've come in contact with somebody who is positive. So I want to be clear, is this a separate uh, area at the fairgrounds from where you're doing the, the drive-up testing? Yes, yes. So the drive-up testing is purely a function of you going in and getting tested. You meet the criteria. You need to be tested. You're going out there. And I forget the exact building, but it's a different site. It's a different site completely. We've probably had less than 20 people who have overnighted there, maybe, or spent some period of time out there. And again, the process is that right now, the population that we are seeing and using that site most often are those living homeless at the shelters. And so we have we have a uh, team that goes out, makes its rounds around the shelters. This individual has been coughing. This individual has a fever. Okay, we transport them out to the fairground, out to the isolation site. The testing is taking place out there. We get results back the next day, and therefore the next day the person is released. Because the turnaround time, as I said, has been has been, you know, not, it's not immediate right now. So who's, who's running the site right now? Is it a, is it the health department? Is the, is it the, uh, uh, is it the county? Who's, who's running, who's operating that site? 
Yeah, so it's it's actually multiple, multiple. So the 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 funding agent or the financial agent is the city, and then we are doing the evaluations at the shelters. The guardians are then contracted to transport the individuals to the facility. They use STA vehicles, and then we have staff that are out there that are staff from CHAS. And so we have five different organizations who are working at this one site. Has it been working so far? Yeah, as I said, it's been working well. Um, The thing that's a little bit confusing, Doug, and I think unfortunately it was sort of the, it was representation of the what the site served for. It wasn't it wasn't an isolation site for homeless individuals. It was an isolation site for the community. Early on when we were looking at all the issues around isolation, we acknowledged that given the fact that we were having to do social distancing, the fact that we were then having the high risk of individuals who were living homeless, who may or may not be in a shelter, who could potentially, if infected, could infect others, we needed to find a site for that population. But that was one of many populations who, again, could use this site. So let's say that I uh, I test positive and my roommate is someone who is being treated for cancer. I am not going to go back into and my apartment and wait for my period of isolation to end. So this site could serve in that purpose. So how is the... Uh... How is the traffic at the testing site at the fairgrounds? Is it is it continuing steady? Is it dying off a little bit? The numbers have definitely dropped off, but by that you know, but that said, it's also a very important community resource. If you look at our numbers, yes, as of eighteen April, they had seen thirty four hundred and thirty three individuals had tested fourteen hundred and sixty eight, and so if you look at the fact that Spokane has tested something on the order of, look at my sheet, about 7,700 individuals. You know, that's a significant, that is a huge number of individuals who have been seen out at that site and have been tested at that site. So it's a great community resource. We're fortunate enough to be one of just a few across the state that have that community resource that has been staffed heavily by Providence. And so to Providence's credit and multi-care support, that facility has been really key in driving our testing across the county. Providence and multi-care want to step back. And so what we're looking to do right now is to work with and try to find other community partners or potentially the Air National Guard to take over that site. We have need and asks to have additional community sites across you know, other areas, like, for example, Airway Heights. We are actively looking to stand up a site up there because not everybody from Airway Heights can easily get out to the fairgrounds. So for us going forward, especially given the need to enhance testing, we need to ensure that we have enough testing sites to allow that to happen. Of 7,700 folks, you want to expand testing. Is Would that be a very small percentage of the number that you would eventually like to be able to test? I mean, are you talking about 20, 30, 50,000 people you'd like to test? The governor, what you know, so right now we're testing on average across the state about 4,000 per day. 
the intention is to ramp that up so that we are testing 20 to 30,000 per day, have the capacity to do that. And that will happen if we liberalize the criteria by which you will be tested. And we're waiting for guidance, but it's going to liberalize it to the point where if you have a cough, we're going to test you. If you have a sore throat, we're going to test you. If you have, in the past, it's been restricted because our resources have been so limited. So, you know, you essentially had to fever and or cough and or shortness of breath. We, we realize that, you know, 25 to 40% of individuals may be asymptomatic and still have COVID-19, or they may have other symptoms like a sore throat, like they've lost their sense of smell or taste. And so the criteria are being revised and liberalized so that we can test more people with the goal of potentially testing up to 20 to 30,000 people across the state on a daily basis, which is huge. And you've got to have the, the, the product to be able to do that. Exactly. Are, 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 you, are, you, are you confident in the state's ability to, to provide enough of that product, or is the, the county going to have to go out and look for itself? No, it's, it's definitely coming from the state. It's coming from the state and from providers, you know, from the systems themselves. So the systems all have their own chains, you know, their own network chains, their supply chains that are providing them materials. Um, we're getting materials from Department of Health. Department of Health, I was contacted today. They just got in the first shipment of 100,000 specimens of kits. So, you know, those will be doled out, uh, you know, accordingly. The intention, they have up to 2 million ordered. And, you know, that's the goal. So we have, we hopefully in the foreseeable future, we'll have plenty of material because that's really, really essential if we are going to be able to provide the guardrails for the communities to open up. We need to have sufficient testing of all those individuals who potentially could be ill. So going back to the, the question you were talking about before in terms of personnel, if, if Providence and MultiCare are wanting to pull away, are you confident you'll have the number of people that you need in order to administer those tests? Well, as I mentioned, Doug, it's going to come from a, different, a lot of different sources. So, right, multi, sure. so MultiCare and Providence, they have capacity within their own systems. So you go, you're a regular, you're a regular patient of Dr. Smith at Providence. You go to see Dr. Smith. You tell Dr. Smith that you have a that you have a cough. Dr. Smith can do the testing right there. They also have set up respiratory clinics across the community, and so they have those resources available to them. So each of the systems has its own internal capacity. What I need to be able to ensure is that I also have at the community level for those individuals who don't belong to a Providence or a multi-care or a CHAZ or a Kaiser Permanente or a VA. I'm uninsured. I've got symptoms. I don't have a provider. I've never seen my provider. Okay. I can go to this drive-through site and get tested. So it's again, looking at resources that already exist and then ensuring that we have that backup community resource for those individuals who may fall through the cracks that we can't allow to fall through the cracks. So I guess the question, if, if, uh, if the governor says, okay, Bob, I'm going to send you 25,000 swabs and whatever else you need, would you then keep that all for the county or would you parse it among uh, Providence, all the other providers who are doing tests around here? As needed. I mean, truly, you know, we are a resource. The same way, Doug, this has been a great collaboration between healthcare organizations and public health. Going forward, it has to be the exact same. So if multi-care said to me, Bob, you know, we are, 
our supply chains have dried up. Can you help us? Of course, of course. I'll help anybody, you know, within the capacity that I have, but it has to be a collaboration rather than just public health or just one organization by itself. You're listening to the Inland Journal podcast. Our guest is Spokane County Health Officer Bob Lutz. Idaho's governor today announced that he's he's got a four-stage plan for essentially loosening up the, the economy and all that due to start on the first, but he's got a pretty pretty specified as he says, okay, we're gonna on May first, we're gonna let the uh, we're gonna let the churches open up and certain retail. If we're gonna do that for two weeks, if that works well, then second stage will start. These people will open up. Does Spokane County have that kind of specificity when it comes to looking down the road, or is it still pretty general? Well, I think the same way that you know, Governor of Idaho created that plan for the state of Idaho. Likewise, Governor Inslee is going to be doing the same thing for the entire state. I think that there may be, there certainly has been interest in having some regional variability, but it's not as if we're going to, you know, we're going to allow 50 people to congregate and Whitman County is going to allow 100 people to congregate. It can't, it can't be like that. So there needs to be consistency across the state. The Spokane County is going to follow the governor's lead when it comes to this. It has to. It has to fundamentally. You know, really, it's guidance. Now, granted, guidance is just that, but, you know, the governor's stay-at-home order was an order, and I would suggest to you that the guidance is going to be, it's going to have a similar framework, but it's going to have to be, again, nuanced a little bit. So how do I enforce this? What does it look like? What, how do people interpret this? One of the challenges that we've had is that define an essential business, and it's defined on a website and then people are able to get around it because they have deemed themselves to be essential. Why are some, why are some irrigation, this is just locally that happened, why are some irrigation uh, companies open and some aren't? Why is a vape shop that sells food such as gummy bears and power bars considered essential because they're, they found a loophole versus a vape shop that's had to close because it's not considered essential? So the guidance will be statewide, and then I am sure, unless it's very, very exact, there'll have to be some nuancing and massaging to understand exactly how that works. All right, and then a couple of mornings ago, the the health district's administrator talked about uh, contact tracing and going forward. And she, I think, made some sort of reference to it perhaps being a some job opportunities there. Do you see the county hiring people to do contact tracing, or uh, are you going to do, do with what the district has and continue to work with the State Department of Health to do that? Yeah, it's going to be the latter. It's going to be the latter. We certainly can take on some volunteers, I think, but I can't envision having the county um, I, I don't see that really being happening. I actually just left a meeting where we're talking about that very process of contract ta- contact tracing, what it's going to require, who it's going to require, and how we go about doing that. And it's going to be, it's going to be, it can be complex. There are going to be individuals who are going to need a lot more complicated contact tracing. A lot of training is going to is going to be required. Department of Health is going to push out some of that training. We'll do some of that training locally. But again, I think that it's not going to necessarily be a job creator for the community. It's going to be looking for volunteers. So, for example, uh, there's an untapped resource out there called professional students that have been working virtually. And they have a great 
they're a great resource and what a great way to learn about epidemiology and public health than to be doing contact tracings. And so can they be recruited? And we're actually in the process of looking at that. Can we recruit students to do some of the contact investigations for us, which will be done virtually? So are the people, would those people work in Spokane right alongside of your folks or would they work from wherever they've got a telephone? Yeah, exactly. The latter. They could be, if they're here in Spokane, right on. If they're virtual, they're virtual. Because again, there are, there are times when you need eyes there, when you actually need boots on the ground to actually see what's happening. But the majority of times when my epidemiologists do their contact investigations, rare, rare are the times when they actually have to go and investigate. So it's going to be it's going to be 99 98% virtual but the neat thing is that we also have a great community resource called uh, Spokane Alliance and they've been working with us over the last few weeks so that individuals who opt in to have that uh, personal touch if I'm a covid positive patient and I want somebody to check in on me I need some help in getting some resources the Spokane Alliance has stepped up and they are a group of volunteers that have been willing to fill in that gap. And so what we'll look to do is to work with our own internal staff, additional volunteer staff, uh, looking at healthcare uh, partners, and then also looking at organizations like the Spokane Alliance to kind of pull all this together into one cohesive package. Okay, so let's let's finish with this. This week, uh, uh, Mayor uh, Woodward and uh, Commissioner French talked. Uh, they're, they're pulling pulling folks together from the business community and others. Public health is probably going to be part of this as part of the, the plan to open up. Do you have any idea what sort of time frame they're talking about, or are they talking about weeks? Are they talking about days? Uh, people are asking questions about when are we going to open up. What what can you tell them about that? Yeah, I think it's all a function of what Governor Inslee decides and says. You know, we're not going to open up prematurely. As you know, a number of counties across the state attempted to do so, and the Attorney General said that wasn't that wasn't appropriate. And I think that, you know, there's certainly a lot of rhetoric out there, not necessarily coming from elected officials, but again, from people who are wanting to open up. Doug, the amazing thing is, how long is this how long has the governor's proclamation and order been in, been in effect? About five less weeks, a, right? Less than a month. Okay. It essentially the, the proclamation was came out on the 23rd and went into effect at midnight, I believe, on the 25th. So we have people who, and granted, I understand this. I mean, as, as Sheriff Knezovich has talked about, you know, this is this is paychecks, and we're going on the fourth paycheck for many people. I get that, but you also think about the the um, the challenges that other generations have dealt with, um, you know, th- go back, go back 60 years, 70 years, and what was asked of individuals of generations to deal with. And so I, again, I, you know, I talk about the fact that we've impacted lives and livelihoods, and I think that's really important. But the governor, the governor's recommendations and guidelines going forward are going to be what we in Spokane County and across the state use as our framework to move forward and, and open up the economy. So Dr. Fauci has talked about, he thinks we're going to go through some form of this again in the fall. Do you have that same feeling? You know, Dr. Fauci, he knows this work really well. He's how many pandemics, how many epidemics has he been through? He's an, you know, he's a specialist and he understands the science. I think there's so much about this novel coronavirus that is truly novel that we don't know. 
if you look at the very, very small percentage of our American population that will have experienced this virus, therefore has developed immunity to it, and will not necessarily, we believe, be infected again or manifest the symptoms, I think just statistically, the likelihood is very great that we will see a second wave of COVID-19 in the fall. And, you know, we've talked about this being, you know, one of, you know, cold, flu, and COVID-19 seasons. We, we may see this, um, this strain of coronavirus around for quite some time. I think that's why we're so focusing on a vaccine, because the vaccine, you don't want to like, um, you have to realize that a vaccine is, can be a real significant game changer, but it's not going to be on the horizon in the foreseeable future. So to say that we could see this in the fall, I think there's a very great likelihood that we will. We just have to be prepared to do so. You've been listening to Dr. Bob Lutz, Spokane County's health officer on today's Inland Journal podcast. It's free to listen to. You can find it at the SPR website at NPR One, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. I'm Doug Nadvornik. Thank you for listening. If you appreciate what you hear on Spokane Public Radio, whether it be this program or the news or public affairs or music of different genres or radio dramas or just good discussions, I ask you to consider making a financial contribution. Go to SpokanePublicRadio.org and click on the red donate button. Thank you.